Hi everyone, it's Charles here from the GHFC with podcast number nine. So this is the third and, and final part in the series of events that relate to incidents of toxicity which occurred at my workplace during 2010 and 2011. Ten years on, a memoir of workplace text, uh, toxicity. What follows is factual. It really happened. The following events are those as experienced and documented by me at the time, not reliant on recollection or distortion with the passing of time. Names have not been included, titles only, at my own discretion, not so much for legal reasons, more than um, there is nothing to be gained by naming and shaming. Ten years on is simply a reflection of the time it has taken for me to become comfortable with sharing my story. So in part one, I shared how the senior sales management group had raised growing concerns regarding the head of sales. In part two, I revealed the events that took place between June 2010 and April 2011, including allegations of my lack of commitment towards the company's global sales leadership initiative, combined with allegations of unethical practices by myself and my sales division. And now in part three, you'll hear how events accelerated from May 2011 to July 2011, spiralling out of control, uh, as did my mental health well-being, to the point of having a breakdown, at which point I was driven to take actions that would rid the business uh, of this dreadful period of, of workplace toxicity. So April 2011, lies, damn lies and accusations. So upon my return to work from my Easter holiday break, it was brought to my attention that one of my sales managers was extremely upset by comments being made about her by another sales manager as to her being one of the unethical ones and that she would soon be out the door. After some initial inquiries, I requested support from the head of human resources as to an appropriate way to deal with this to which she recommended that I talk with the parties involved and gain clarification. This done, the outcome was that it was the understanding of several of my team that the sales manager who was making the claims about the other was actually being fed confidential information regarding who was being investigated by her close friend in customer service, who was the person assigned um, the task of making investigatory calls to reinstated or reactivated representatives in the division, uh, having been directed to do so by the head of sales and the head of human resources. Uh, my division apparently was the only division under investigation. Uh, it also transpired that a former member of my team having been transferred to another sales division prior to the current incentive, also received a copy of the amnesty document uh, by email, being made privy to confidential information that at least three sales managers were alleged to be guilty of unethical breaches. So I reported this information back to the head of human resources with an email outlining the salient points not least being my concern that a serious breach of confidence was being displayed by this customer service associate. I was then asked to attend a meeting with the head of human resources. 
Now, my belief was that this meeting was to discuss not only the allegations brought against my sales division and I, but also support as to how we were to resolve the customer service breach. However, the only item up for discussion was the allegations regarding myself and my division. The Head of Human Resources started the discussions by advising that our newly appointed Managing Director had been advised of the situation, who in turn had reported it to the Business Global Compliance Committee based in the United Kingdom, and that I could expect to receive a call from this committee's senior legal counsel, to which I would have to answer their questions. But the mention of senior legal counsel combined with the knowledge that I had not done anything unethical, I felt as though I was now under serious intimidation and harassment. I felt extremely anxious, uh, experienced tightness in my chest and uh, shortness of breath. In the meantime, the Head of Human Resources advised that she needed to ask me a series of questions in the hope that I could provide her more insight to the issues uh, and why they occurred. The first question being, had I at any time been asked by any of my sales managers if an action they were taking was not an appropriate one? I responded that I have an open door policy for just that purpose so that they cannot step over the line even when under pressure. I also reiterated that my response in cases such as this, as has always been my direction, is that a representative being reinstated or reactivated must only be reinstated when having placed an order. This being the in-spirit definition of a reinstatement, although never having been actually written down as such in any of the business uh, formal documentation. May 2011. Recrimination in my defence. As my interrogation continued, the Head of Human Resources suggested I may wish to think carefully about my answers. Some of the responses as submitted in the amnesty may prove to be contradictory. At this point, I again felt intimidated and harassed. However, I was once again uh, reinforced my consistent standpoint on this issue, adding that in my 23 years with the business, I have upheld the strongest values of ethics and integrity as supported by every uh, workplace appraisal uh, to date and adding that I would like to hear what the amnesty submissions have to say. Well, the first submission stated that a sales manager had raised with me the instant of two relief managers reactivating uh, independent sales representatives who had recently resigned who, when the sales manager rang to welcome back to the team advised they were not aware that they had agreed to have their accounts reactivated. I in turn advised that I had addressed this issue with the relief managers, uh, issued a final warning to them and reported my, uh, my actions to their sales manager. As such, the issue had been dealt with in line with company procedures. The next two submissions related to two long-term sales managers currently under investigation who felt their actions were justified as under previous executive management, uh, being the managing director and the head of sales at that time, when boosting this very same KPI so as to maintain a long-standing tradition of always being ahead year on year, uh, resigned or deactivated representatives were reinstated or reactivated automatically 
by the company, only being advised by a company letter or email to the effect that their accounts had been reactivated, so if they wished they could place an order with the business, if not, then just to ignore the letter. I responded that this activity did take place, however, probably four years prior, and despite both the current head of sales and head of HR being members of that executive management group, this activity was not now part of the company's uh, nor my division's recommended practice and certainly not an activity supported by myself. I then advised that as the meeting was scheduled for an hour and we were now at 70 minutes, I really did have to attend to another pre-arranged appointment. We agreed to meet again to finalise the discussions the following Tuesday. When I got home, I discussed everything with my wife Vicky, who clearly seeing the stress and emotion I was under, strongly urged me to make an appointment with my GP. This I did in turn followed by a series of nine consultations with a psychologist as referred to me by my GP. I was placed on sick leave from May the 3rd, hence no longer in a fit state to attend the Tuesday meeting, um, or in fact my workplace, until the beginning of August 2011. I was also referred to the North Shore Cardiac Centre due to concerns relating to the tightening sensation down my left-hand side these tests confirmed the sensations were stress-related as a result of current anxiety. July 2011, the day of reckoning. As a result of all that's gone before, combined with my associated breakdown, it became abundantly clear that I needed to engage the services of an independent lawyer in employment and industrial law to ensure that this situation was addressed in a formal way in the hope that this toxicity in the workplace could be seen as a real and present danger. In spite of the fact that this engagement of professional legal services would incur serious financial hardship to my family and I, we felt obliged to do so in the interests of fairness and justice. Fortunately, a combination of my comprehensive diary notes, the very same that the head of sales instructed me to stop taking during one of our meetings, my photographic memory and the diligence of my lawyer, the eventual outcome was that the head of sales resigned his position at the end of July 2011 with the head of human resources resigning soon after. Sadly, it was too late for my dedicated colleagues across Australia and New Zealand. In summary, there were three defining moments in this very sad state of affairs. Firstly, a simple email from my GP noting reasonable adjustments for my return to work. An extract as follows. To whom it may concern, this letter is to confirm that Mr Hill will be fit to return to work on 25th of July 2011. He should not report to the head of sales. He should commence a graduated return to work three days per week for four hours per day to be reviewed after one week. He is also fit to undertake the investigation for compliance issues, but should be given the questions in writing. Yours sincerely. Dated 22nd of July 2011. Secondly, an email from my lawyer to the head of Human Resources reminding her of the current Disability Discrimination Act, which at the time did not form any part of the company's HR procedures. 
Dear Head of Human Resources, further to our telephone conversation on 26th of June 2011, I would like to confirm what we say are both Charles's and your company's rights under the Disability Discrimination Act. Firstly, there can be no doubt in our view that at this time, Charles has a disability under the Disability Discrimination Act 1992. The Act. Section 4 of the Act defines disability as total or partial loss of the person's bodily or mental functions and includes a disability that presently exists. Under Section 5 of the Act, direct disability includes the failure to make reasonable adjustments so that Charles would be treated less favourably than, for example, someone who is returning from maternity leave. Reasonable adjustment is defined by the Act as an adjustment to be made by a person uh, is a reasonable adjustment unless making the adjustment would impose an unjustifiable hardship on the person. The certificate from Charles's doctor suggests reasonable adjustments which may be made by your company for Charles to assist him returning to work. One such adjustment being requests that he should not report to the head of sales. We note, however, that this is no longer as the head of sales uh, has been, re- been made redundant. Yours sincerely. And that's dated the 1st of August 2011. And thirdly, the official findings from the Global Compliance Investigation Team as shared with me by the newly appointed Head of Sales. Dear Charles, as per your request, I am attaching the summary of findings from the Global Compliance Committee. This process has been finalised and the overall conclusion is as follows. There was deemed to be no breach of conscious or malicious intent to undertake unethical work practices on your behalf. Uh, Signed by the Head of Sales, dated 21st uh, of November 2011. Now, sadly, the the company were unable to officially recognise the part it played in this traumatic turn of events, no doubt in, in fear of lawsuits and damaged reputations. But, you know, all they really had to do was say sorry. Uh, As Elton John, or was it Bernie Taupin, famously penned, sorry seems to be the hardest word. On a much happier note, I was welcomed back into the business, into my sales division, into my role, which I was able to both enjoy and successfully contribute until early February 2014, when it was decided at the global level that it was time to make redundant all staff, with the exception of those at general manager level, with 20 or more years continuous service. At that time, I had been with the business since September 1989, albeit starting in the casual role in December 1988. So with 25 years association, it was sayonara. Suffice to say, the redundancy process was handled with maturity, compassion and dignity, which is how I remember the business to this day. Eradication. For the benefit of my own mental health well-being, uh, I mentioned earlier that I buried the events above. However, 10 years on, uh, I feel compelled by a deep responsibility to so many uh, employees, employers, management groups, employee groups, executive groups, company directors and shareholders to share my experiences in the hope that we can eradicate toxicity from the workplace. In short, the eradication process belongs to us. 
We can choose to ignore workplace harassment, intimidation, bullying and toxicity, or we can join together just as we do when something is not right or just in our local community, reinforcing acceptable and unacceptable behaviours, in turn protecting all our inherent human rights. It's always hard, but then again, anything worth fighting for is so there you have it, the, the final episode from my book, 10 Years On, a memoir of workplace toxicity. My only hope is that the experiences I have shared over these three uh, podcasts provide an insight uh, into situations that are not acceptable in the modern workplace. And remember, your employer has a legal responsibility under occupational health and safety and anti-discrimination law to provide a safe workplace. Employers have a duty of care for your health and well-being whilst at work. An employer that allows toxicity to occur in the workplace is not meeting this responsibility. Support is available from the Fair Work Ombudsman, the Human Rights Commission and organisations such as Black Dog Institute, Beyond Blue, Gotcha for Life and Are You OK? So once again, many thanks for listening. Please stay mentally well. All the best. Charles at the GHFC.